It, it, no one's going to remember a test, but they remember incredible empowering experiences. And so a space design can help support that empowering and incredible experience. On this episode of Change the Narrative, we talk with Dr. Monica Burns about how to make time and space for productivity and your own passion project. Today's episode of Change the Narrative is sponsored by Participate, a network of professional learning communities. Their communities of practice engage and inspire educators with meaningful professional development around a shared purpose or goal. Join the conversation at participate.com. I'm in the heart of a place I've been meaning to visit for years. Ever since I learned about my favorite architect, Louis Kahn, I've wanted to experience this space and see and feel it for myself. I finally made the pilgrimage from Los Angeles over spring break to see it, and it was a moving experience. Hear that? It's the sound of solitude. And that? It's the sound of contemplation. This water feature is called the River of Life that represents the trickle of discoveries that empty into the greater body of knowledge represented by the Pacific Ocean on the horizon. It's the centerpiece of the Salk Institute in La Jolla, California, completed in 1965 and created by Jonas Salk, the developer of the polio vaccine, who hired Kahn to design the research facility. Kahn's philosophy was to create monumental work that should appear as if it had always existed, like ancient ruins. So for this building, he used the Pozzolanic technique, first formulated by the ancient Romans for the concrete structures. And on the spring and autumn equinox, the sun sets perfectly at the end of the River of Life water feature. This was Khan's first commission that he was actually proud of. He was in his late 50s when it was completed, and it was his only profitable project. He could have made millions designing malls or parking lots or suburban housing tracks, but instead, he struggled financially to stay true to his philosophy, and some of his greatest designs were never even built. But the projects he completed are renowned, and continue to influence architects today. I think about this often, this idea of what I'll leave behind. This measure of time I'm given to make a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said. It fuels my passion projects, like this podcast, because I have either a vain or valiant goal of creating something to leave behind to make the world better than when I got here. I can sleep when I'm dead, I always tell myself. So what's your passion project? Maybe it's a garden or volunteer work or simply spending time with your children. Go ahead, write that short story or novel. You don't have to wait until January 1st to have resolve. All you need is a little time and space. Dr. Monica Burns is an ed tech and curriculum consultant, author, and former New York City public school teacher. She visits schools across the country to support pre-K through 20 teachers to make technology integration meaningful and sustainable. Monica's website, classtechtips.com, and her new venture, the Easy Ed Tech Podcast, help educators place tasks before apps by promoting deeper learning with technology. And Monica, I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Uh, you're one of my great ed tech friends and mentors, and you've inspired me in so many ways. I'm just really fortunate to have you here as a guest on our show. So thanks for joining. I'm so excited to be here with you today as well. You made a switch from being a classroom teacher a few years ago to being a full-time consultant. And as an education consultant, you have to be very entrepreneurial and wear a lot of hats to make ends meet. So I'm sort of curious what a typical day looks like for you. 
So when you are kind of on the road, traveling around, visiting different schools, conferences, and then doing prep work at home, it can be hard to have a, a typical day with a typical schedule. So when it comes to how my day normally looks, I usually start off pretty early, reviewing email, first thing in the morning, going through my to-do list to make sure I've prioritized if there's anything particular that has to happen that day. So my normal routine is more of a, a check-in so that I know that I have a good baseline. So if I'm on site with a school or I'm presenting with a conference, I don't have to worry about being distracted all day. And if I'm working from home, either writing or taking care of a few upcoming items, I can laser focus on that without having to worry about my inbox or cleaning out notes notifications or anything like that. And when you say early, how early do you mean? I'm a 5.30, 6am or uh, so that might be me up early going to work out first or might be on the road knowing that I have an 8am start time at a school. So I want to have a good hour or so to just make sure that I've cleaned not just my inbox, but also cleaned my headspace so that I can focus in on whatever that specific day is going to look like since every day is a little bit different. You know, for me, working from home sometimes can be a little distracting and not so focused. And it seems like you've developed this kind of routine that you have to stay focused. Well, not every day is perfect. And I came from an elementary school classroom background where we were down to the minute needing to be in a certain place or transitioning, right? So going through that for so many years and then losing that sort of schedule of someone even checking in on me to make sure I was on point at the right time as a classroom teacher was definitely tough. And so I know that there are days where I can work from home, no problem, put in all my hours at my desk, right away from my kitchen or laundry or other things that might grab my attention. And then I also know that I might hit that, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 p.m. lunchtime-ish type of part of the day where I need to get out. I need to go for a walk. I need to find a coffee shop. And one thing I've done this past year is there's a local um, co-working space where I can have a quarterly package, just a handful of days to use over a couple months. And that's been really great for me to say, you know, tomorrow's really got to be a day that I get out of here, that I sit in a place that's quiet, kind of like the library or wherever your spot might be. And that's really helped me for days when there's more writing or presentation prep so that I can you know, kind of be off by myself. How do you decide when's the right time and what's the right space? for the, that work you've got? I try and put the tasks that are on my to-do list into different categories so that I know it's going to take up more of my energy and more of my attention. So sometimes I think about it like as like a plane activity where I'm going to be on an airplane and I'm not going to have internet. I'm not going to pay for internet. So these are all the things I can do offline, or these are all the tasks that I can do without thinking too hard about them. Maybe I'm also watching a video or there's a TV show I'm catching up on in the background, right? So something that's not going to take too much brain space, but I really prioritize those ones where, you know, I'm going to write a thousand words or I want to prep a podcast episode, or I know that I need to move some things around without any distractions or background noise. I try and take care of those sort of tasks in the morning first thing, not just because I like to get them finished up, um, but I also know if they're not done, they'll become a distraction when I'm going through the silly part of my to-do list, the things that feel productive because I'm getting things done, but really aren't as important when I'm looking in the long run of what I want to accomplish during a day. 
That was the next question I was going to ask you is that you have a lot of things to keep track of. You've got different events coming up. You've got a lot of different, you know, things you're doing. You're writing books, you're doing presentations, you're doing trainings, um, social media marketing and all that stuff. Like, how do you keep it all straight? What are your secrets to staying organized? I'm not a super, you know, color coding type of person with different types of activities. Um, but what I do on my Google calendar that's been really useful is I set out blocks of time that are going to be my appointment time. And it doesn't always work because you want to be conscious of someone else's schedule. But if the ball is in my court for scheduling something, I usually try and put it on a certain day of the week, try and put all those calls together. Right? So this means that I won't have as many interruptions. So it's, I have two hours to think about and work on something, not 30 minutes between calls. And so that was really helped me think about how I'm organizing, not just a day, but even in a week, which for me feels like more of a manageable chunk because I might have a day where I'm on the ground all day. So I'm not going to get any of the littler things done on my to-do list. I tend to look at my planning over the course of the week, think about what days I'm going to be able to connect with people, have more calls and try and bunch them all together. So that way I can have bigger pieces of time open on my schedule to get take care of larger tasks. And for me as a writer, right? So someone who is blogging, I've been prepping podcast episodes this year, right? I have tasks that I can batch together. That has been immensely helpful just in terms of my productivity. So instead of saying, I'm going to spend half an hour today on this and half an hour tomorrow on that, right? I can use an hour or so today all together and maybe get three blog posts done instead of just the two. So that switching of my thought process and my energy, right, that's going to suck up some extra minutes over the course of the week. So I find that this idea of batching uh, has really helped me stay productive and focused. That's fantastic because I think for myself, I have to take time to warm up and get into that rhythm and that routine. So if it was split up into the smaller chunks, the minutes add up to the same, but it doesn't add up to the same productivity time. So I really like your idea of intentionally blocking out a large chunk of time and pushing everything else to the side. I like this idea of the calendar. And I had heard that somewhere before that instead of a to-do list that you have a calendar. And so it sounds like that's what you're doing with your day or your week or like Wednesday is the day that I do these things or from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. are the times that I do these things instead of a to-do list, which gets mixed around and you switch priorities and you get lost. Yeah. And for me, that sort of weekly view has been so much more helpful because I do have events that aren't always on the same day of the week, right? So I might be this week, I'm in a school on Thursday, next week, I'm in schools Wednesday and Thursday, right? So if Wednesday was my magical blog post day and I miss it next week, right, that's going to really throw things for a loop. So I know kind of the big buckets that I want to make sure I'm addressing over the course of the week. And I'll just try my best to make sure that they fit in. So as we're talking about all of this, it seems like you're really a business person. Your product just happens to be educational resources as opposed to electronics or cars or something like that. We know that teachers have a lot of different skill sets and they have to manage a lot of different interdisciplinary kinds of skill sets to be successful. And I'm sort of curious, like as a consultant, what are some of the skills that you've had to learn in order to be successful? You know, sometimes, you know, I would hear phrases as a classroom teacher, like you're the CEO of your classroom or you're in charge of all these moving pieces. And it's true, right? You take on so much from organizational, from communication, right? All the time management that goes into being a classroom teacher, but you're taking on a lot of tasks that 
aren't necessarily labeled the same as we would label them, right, if you are in a different type of industry. So there's definitely been a lot of overlapping of skills that at the time I didn't think I would transfer into the work that I do now. So part of that is the time management, um, having routines, right, being able to communicate to different groups of people all day long, whether in that case being families, right, and other teachers and administrators and students, of course. There's definitely been a transfer of certain skill sets, but plenty of learning that has gone into the work that I've done in the past. And so there's been, you know, a plethora of resources to sort through just in terms of finding someone to help me build a website, using the little bit that I know about HTML to make changes on my own or go off and solve problems by Googling and finding an answer. So I have my bachelor's in elementary education, right, all the way through to my doctorate in education, but I know I can go out and find a podcast, take an online course about something related to marketing or brand storytelling, or even setting up a podcast for the first time. It's a matter of kind of taking on that lifelong learner hat and shifting around a little bit what you're looking for. I was going to ask you, so what are some of your favorite resources that you use to help you in these new job skill sets that you need for being a consultant? So one of my favorites is Amy Porterfield's online marketing kind of suite of products or podcasts. It's been really useful for me to gather some ideas or say, oh, that's how someone does this when I notice something that's online. So that's been really huge for me. I try and kind of listen out to say like, oh, this is a problem I didn't know I have or is a problem I'm trying to solve and didn't know where to go. And so there's some folks like that um, who also have a Facebook group that might be around an idea that I can lurk and peek into and gather some ideas. So it's been helpful to find a combination of media to also keep me in check, right? With a newsletter from someone, a podcast from someone, and then maybe going into a social space to post a question. And by com combining all of those together, it's been immensely useful for me to gather some ideas as a business owner um, that I wouldn't have thought to kind of go out and, and find before starting this work. A while back, you gave me some really great advice about how to be productive. And you said, listen to your body. And I'm like, what? And it, but it was brilliant. It really struck me later because, you know, you were really in tune with the most productive parts of your day for different tasks. And like you said, you're getting up at like 5 a.m. Um, unlike most sane people. Um, although I have to say I get up. Um, but as a morning person, you did certain work in the morning and other things in the afternoon. And then I read Daniel Pink's book, When, which I think is his latest book. And he backed up your intuition with research. And I know that, you know, if I hit two, three o'clock, right, I'm going to work twice as hard to do something that would take me, you know, half as much time the following morning. And so I've been at a point now where I say, you know what, this is the kind of thing that I can do in the morning. It's going to require more of that energy, just like those offline and online tasks I might think of for an airplane ride, right? This is something I can do without too much. Got to get done, but I'm not going to need to put as much thought into it. You know, I struggle sometimes when I see the, you know, best ways to be productive types of blog posts. And it's telling everyone up to be at up at, at 4am, right? 
get to the gym, then go to this place, then do that. And I don't think that's great for everyone. You know, there's days where I know like I need my eight hours. And if I am in bed at a certain time, right, I can hit that 5.30, 6am. But if I know it's been a crazy travel week, like I really need to pause and honor that and not force something that's just not going to work because what's the point? I'm not going to get anything done. I'm going to be tired and groggy. And it's really counterproductive as opposed to being right as productive as possible. Being cognizant that things change, seasons change, right? And you want to be mindful of what times are going to be, you know, the best for you to really get stuff done. And I know if I have a good, strong writing morning, I try my best to lean into that and see how long I can take it, but then also be mindful that, you know what, let's put a pause on this and revisit it tomorrow or later this week um, so that I'm not stretching something just for the sake of it. That's really great advice. And I really took your advice to heart. Um, and I think that I do a better job at that now. Like if I feel the urge to write, like I have it, the idea with me now, I just go with it. Because if I don't, it's not going to be there in the evening. Mm-hmm. I don't work well in the evening. So thank you for that advice. That's amazing. I read an article uh, by Adam Grant in the New York Times recently that sort of makes the case for not being concerned about time management, but rather attention management. I know you've got your schedule and your calendar and everything, but Essentially, what he's saying is that, you know, we'll make time for the projects that we find personally interesting or socially meaningful. Um, Is that how you find time to work on all these projects? I definitely find that the projects I'm, you know, more motivated for get done first, right? Or they're the ones I shift to the top of my list of things I want to take care of because I'm excited about them or I'm interested to see what the response is going to be to a new blog post when, you know what, I don't need to do that right now, (laughs) but you know, that's how I'm, I'm kind of just moving towards that direction. I'm so ready to be distracted because something's either hard or it's not interesting. So it's not maintaining my attention. And so when those things, when I have those urges to look away or press that other tab, I try and have that check to say, like, just finish this. <laughs> like, it'll be over sooner if you just finish this now. And so I do think that this idea of focusing in on, on what's grabbing your attention the most is also a great way to be reflective of how you want to spend your time and what you want to prioritize in the future and maybe, you know, scale in one direction or say, you know, I'm not going to take this on. So I have space to do this other thing that I'm really excited about. We'll have more from Monica Burns in just a moment. Innovation is hard to accomplish without ideas and support from trusted colleagues. Enter Participate. Their communities of practice bring together educators around common interests to foster active, intentional social learning. Join the conversation for free at participate.com. I mean, this is your job. This is what you do to make a living. And obviously you chose it because you really care about it. And I love, for a lot of us, you know, we have our routines or we have obligations for whatever reason, financially or to family and things like that. And so I'm curious about how you make time and space for those things that you're passionate about. And there's this, this line between right, what people do when they turn, you know, a side hustle into a business to say, right, this maybe began as a hobby, but now it's sustaining right, my livelihood. And so I need to prioritize things different or think about things differently. And how does that shift happen without losing that, you know, spark and excitement, right? And so I know that I will 
you know, have to catch myself sometimes and say, is this the best use of my time? Um, this one little thing I'm doing, am I just doing it because it's fun? And maybe that's okay. Like I love making the graphics for my blog posts. Right? <laughs> yeah. It probably would be a smarter decision to outsource that. I have an executive assistant I work with, right? I'm confident she could do that and take that on and it would save me time to do something else. But I really love doing that and it's fun and it kind of gets me into a space to think about, right, how visuals are connecting to my writing. And so, you know, I understand that kind of value line for that kind of task, right? I can't do it with everything, but I need to make sure that I'm, you know, balancing things in that way that I'm honoring, like, what am I excited about? Why did I start doing this in the first place? And then what do I need to do to also just make sure things are sustainable? So do you find that you have to like psych yourself out or like trick yourself and go, okay, if I do an hour of coding HTML and Mm -hmm. making lists of people and taking care of my finances, then I get to reward myself by doing this really cool graphic. I would say that that was my mindset more in the past. I think it's a slippery slope when you are doing anything like that to have a clear reward right associated with something. And I think for some people it works. Like some people need that to say like, that's the goalpost. This is what I'm going to get when I finish this. Like I absolutely get it. I don't think I've been in that headspace recently um, because I find it to be something for me that just spirals. It's not a sustainable type of (laughs) finish this and then you'll get to this place sort of piece. I think I just find that blocking out larger chunks of time for something. You know, if I know I have that time, to do this, right? I can focus in. And the sooner that I get this done, right? Like I'll have this space open in my calendar to lighten my load for tomorrow or to not feel guilty about having a longer lunch with someone who might be in town, right? So that's really where my motivation comes from. I love the flexibility that this line of work affords me, right? As much as there's hard stops and hard days and things that have to happen at certain times, I want to have the flexibility so that if something comes up in my schedule, right, I'm there and available for it. And so that's where my motivation has come from. In episode three, I talked with Rashawn Richards and Stephen Valentine about the importance of having like these side projects. So those are like those passion projects that aren't part of your direct responsibilities at work, but you make time for them because they sort of stoke your creative fires and ultimately help you do better with your main job. Do you find that to be true for you as well? It's interesting because you know what I'm doing now was that sort of side project, right, in the past. Mm-hmm. So when I was working full-time, this idea of pausing and writing and reflecting and blogging and sharing it and seeing if anyone was excited was very much that mm-hmm. kind of extra project I was doing to help me stay motivated and gather ideas. So that was accomplished that way. I think now what I try to do more of is make sure I'm carving out time for other activities that, yes, you know, fuel what I'm doing, but might be you know adjacent to this work as opposed to right, directly connected. So one thing, for example, is you know I love to sit and read, and I know that that can't happen for me. You know at the end of the day, I am not a read a chapter before I go to bed type of person. I also know that I, for as much as I love reading novels, right? If I open that book and it's good, I'm not going to get anything done for like two days. (laughs) It's not going to happen, right? So I know that, right, that's kind of my schedule activity time, if you will. Like, oh, I want to make sure you spend the the weekend at the beach, or I want to go here and, and sit and read, right, for two days or whatever it might be. So that's definitely part of it. And another part is just from a fitness and wellness, making sure, you know, I'm staying healthy and on a schedule. 
Yeah, I like that a lot because I, I feel like a lot of inspiration comes from reading and, uh, you know, le learning from people in other spaces and other industries and things like that. And my brother, I interviewed him, engineering professor at Cornell. In episode one, he was talking about learning a lot from history books, you know, so it's, um, so I think making that time to read, uh, whether that's, you know, thoughtful Twitter posts or someone's blog or listening to a podcast doesn't have to be like this big fat book. And for myself too, I think I am maybe a little less scheduled than you are, Monica, <laughs> for better or worse, mostly worse, I think. But, um, you know, or the advice you read in, in these business advice books is like CEOs have to read a book a week or something like that. And again, sort of honoring the time in the space, like how's your body feeling? What's the priority this week? Um, but to squeeze it in somehow, I think is really helpful. Yeah, that idea of, you know, hitting those targets, I think sometimes it becomes not fun. And so, you know, I think of it as more of like a reflection as opposed to a to-do list to say like, I know I value this, right? It's important to me. So I want to make sure I'm checking in on it. But I also know that if it becomes this sort of scary, non-negotiable, or you didn't accomplish this task, then it stops having the value that I wanted to have. Yeah, and I love how you said it, it sort of inspires you. So what are some of the things that you've read recently or seen recently that inspire you? Gosh, I, there's been so much that I've been, you know, really excited about from just a storytelling perspective and not in the traditional way that, you know, I grew up thinking about storytelling or the way that I taught narrative writing, right? Thinking about storytelling, but more from a communication side of things, right? So how do I explain to someone how I can help them? Or how do I explain to someone what I'm looking to accomplish or some place or space I'm trying to go or, or get into? So I've been doing a little bit more reading of that kind of marketing and storytelling piece. And one that I'm a Hilton person. And so I stay at double tree hotels every once in a while. And I always think of it as like, oh, that's the one with the cookies. And I never really thought of that as being something strategic, although obviously there's thought behind all of those things, right? And so the idea that you would go and tell someone else that this hotel gives you cookies and I'm going to stay there before this other, right? Now you're talking about this to someone and now you're spreading the word on something. And so it's just been interesting for me not having a business background that's traditional, right? Coming from a different place when it thinking about sharing and learning and talking about what's going on in the world to choose some new reading materials that have given me some perspective to notice things other people are doing and also say, maybe how can I bring that in when I have conversations with educators to help them remember something better? I love that. And especially the emphasis on storytelling, which is sort of my bag. And I feel that everybody's a storyteller, you know, you're a business person, you've got to you know, get funders for your project or advertise. That's a story, right? Build mm -hmm. a brand. This is the story of who we are and our purpose behind it. You know, politicians, scientists, everyone's telling these stories. So I find oftentimes that as educators, we kind of get stuck in our silo. I mean, everybody does, right? Um, and I can only read like from other educators about education. But for me personally, I've found that some of my best, most inspiring reading comes from like organizational psychologists or, you know, Inc. Magazine or something like that, because they're talking about collaboration and leadership and all of these things that I use in my classroom with my students because they're also in collaborative teams working. And so the skills are like, you know, universal. And I think sometimes we get stuck in our silo and think that it doesn't apply to us. So I, I really love that you have merged the education world and the business world together. And it's not to say that you're, you know, we should run schools like businesses, not at all, but just more of that innovative entrepreneurial mindset that 
you know, the lifelong, lifelong learning piece that we expect our students to do too, we have to model that for them. And if they don't see us doing that, it doesn't make any sense, right? If you, you got to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Right. I think this past, you know, few years, looking at it from a few different angles, right? This idea of storytelling has come, you know, high on my list of saying, yes, problem solving. Yes, all these things we've been talking about for a while, but you're always going to have to tell your story or the story of what you're doing and who you're doing it with and all of those pieces, um, no matter what type of technology is available. But of course, I think it's really exciting <laughs> that there's more storytelling tools that help level the playing field for students, right? A big part of my work. But this idea of just going beyond that traditional, right, can encompass so many areas that as educators, we're just naturally curious about and naturally passionate about. So what advice would you give to other professionals who want to take on something that's a passion project for them, um, but they're worried they don't have the bandwidth for it? I just finished the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I came familiar with his work. Julie Wilcott um, had recommended um, his earlier book, Deep Work, for me. And so this idea of being a digital minimalist fits really well into how do I carve out extra time, what feels like extra time um, within my day to accomplish something I really care about. And although there's areas that I, you know, I would kind of just address differently than he might when it comes to thinking about social media use and coming around to how we use different devices. Even something small like that can help you get that half hour to sit and write or to sit and read or to do that thing that you don't know if you quite have time for. That for me has been the easiest way to gather extra time during my day. Yeah, I agree. I haven't read the book, but the little pieces that I've heard about that, um, I, I'm not so sure if I agree with the watching your screen time piece, because for me, I, for the most part, I think, try to follow and look at content on social media that's uh, focused on what I like, that's going to help me with productivity or inspiration, rather than random LOL cat videos or, or things like that. Um, so I think it's a little bit of like learning to curate your own experience rather than just be open to this barrage of everything and then trying to make sense of it later. But I do really appreciate that piece about you know, putting it aside and saying, is this the best use of my time? And, and that's what it comes down to that value component, right? Like what is going to be quality versus quantity? What are some projects that you're working in right now that you're excited about? Well, I'm really excited for the spring into summer conference season to start up. I'm heading back out on the road for uh, some regional events, some school-based events, some bigger conferences. So this time of year is a really fun one in the sense that I get to see lots of people, meet plenty of new people, learn lots of things, share lots of things, see what everyone's excited about. So that's really where my next six to eight weeks are, are focused on. That's fantastic. And what are some of the conferences that people can see you at this summer? So I'll be at LearnFest and in Austin, formerly iPad Palooza. I'll be at the ISTE conference. I'll be at WitCon um, in Illinois. And my full calendar is at classtechtips.com slash events. So some virtual stuff on there too and, and webinars and, and fun things like that. Great. And I was going to ask you, where can people connect with you and find out more about your work? 
So all of my social media is at Class Tech Tips. So I've been spending a lot more time on Instagram this year, trying to give updates with stories and, and use that medium to really connect with folks. And then my website is just classtechtips.com. And so I share a blog posts a few a week, a podcast episode once a week, and lots of other fun things kind of sprinkled in there too. Well, this is really great, Monica. You've got so much information and so many great ideas to help all of us. I'm really fortunate to have you here. So thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, I really appreciate it. This was wonderful. Thank you. I've got links to connect with Monica, as well as photos of the Salk Institute on our website, changethenarrative.net. If you like the podcast, rate us and write us a review. It helps people find us. And don't forget to sign up for our monthly email newsletter. You can find details on our website.